Jesus has come to rescue sinners from their sin by dying in their place on the cross, being buried, rising from the grave three days later, and those who relate to him relate to him by repentance and faith. The gospel is both good news and it's hard news for us as people. We come to things like this calendar day, right? Good Friday. How many of you had today off from work? That is a good reason to celebrate, amen? <laughs> but often we come to like celebrations like this where we see a holiday that's marked on a calendar and we think of it as just another calendar event, right? Something like Valentine's Day where we celebrate love and how we love one another. Or you name your favorite holiday. Uh, I, I, I can't think of tons off the top of my head because my calendar focuses around the church calendar. So I'm sure some of you really enjoy Labor Day, that day that you get to have off in September. There are a variety of things that we celebrate in our calendars, but Good Friday begs the question of what makes it so good? What makes it so good? How could we come to a day like today and celebrate something like death? How could death ever be something good for us? How could we see that? How could we understand that? How could God in his sovereignty work in such a way that he would use something as horrible as the most horrible experience of the human existence, the end of human existence, like death, and use it for his good purposes? I did so through the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Through his death, we endure, and through his death, we now We have a gift, the gift of eternal life, only if you believe. So tonight my goal is not to spend a ton of time expositing scripture like I normally would on a Sunday. My goal is to just highlight for us some reflections on what the death of Jesus accomplishes for us. And most of my reflections are going to come through a study of 1 John. So if you have your Bible, please open your Bible to 1 John. It's a letter in the New Testament. Towards the end of the New Testament. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you not to park in any one place because we're going to flip through the entirety of 1 John in about 10 minutes. And I, I know many of you that know me are probably thinking, how can he do that? He says 10 minutes and it always ends up being 20. Well, I'm going to do my best to love you by serving you the word and pointing you to the sufficiency of Scripture. What does Jesus' death accomplish for us? Hey guys, can you kick to the next slide for me? What does Jesus' death accomplish for us? Or how does the sacrifice of Jesus apply to us? I want to leave you with five reflections this evening. The first is this. That Jesus' death applies to us in that it cleanses from sin, us from sin and brings us forgiveness. 1 John 1 In verse 5, it says this, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Let me just say that again. There is absolutely no darkness in him. Verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But hear the news of verse 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. One of the first things we learn about the work of Jesus on the cross is that it actually cleans us 
and it makes us able to stand rightly before God. Notice how this cleansing comes. The Apostle John says that it comes through the blood of Jesus. Good Friday is a celebration of the spilling of blood, a blood that would cover us and wash over us, a blood that would atone for us, that would make us clean before God. Now, in the blood of Jesus, we can have right standing before God because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We are all, therefore, not in right standing with God, and we need something to pay the price for us, to cover us, to to come into our place, to pay the debt, and to make us able to stand with him. How do we get that? We get that through the cleansing blood of Jesus. But it doesn't only cleanse us. Notice what it continues to say in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this cleansing leads to forgiveness in God. How does that happen? If we confess our sins, it happens. So being right with God comes by the way of the blood of Jesus, but it only comes and applies to us when we believe or confess our sinfulness before God and trust in the blood of Jesus to wash us of our filthiness. Now, friends, this is not something we can earn. It's not something we can do on our own. It is something that Jesus has done for us. He has spilt his blood so that we can be made right with God. If we confess our sin, we are then cleansed and made right before God. How does the sacrifice of Jesus apply to us? Well, it applies a second way in the letter of 1 John, and that's through the reality that Jesus' death is the sacrifice for all sin. 1 John 2.2 says, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So how does this come into light? Well, I actually want you to flip your Bible over to the book of Romans, which is right after the Gospels, Romans, right after Acts. It's in the New Testament. I want you to flip to Romans chapter 5. This is actually on the front of our bulletin this evening. But Romans 5, I want to show you how this comes to be a reality. How can Jesus, by his one death, bring cleansing and sacrifice and atonement for all of the sins of the world. Romans 5. I want you to look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Who is, who, who brought sin? Somebody answer that for me. Who brought sin? Adam. That pesky Adam back in Genesis, right? Adam's sin infected the entirety of the human race, okay? So here's, just follow with me for a second. Those of you that want to be aspiring theologians, ready? Okay, so we are in Adam, right? We are made in his likeness. Did we participate with Adam in his sin? Were we there when he sinned against God in Genesis? No, we weren't there figuratively we are there federally under his headship okay so adam represents the entirety of the whole world we are in adam born as humans made in god's image in adam we enter into his sinfulness that's how we inherit a sin nature his work applies then to us 
Okay, that's what Paul's trying to lay out for the Romans here in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. So we're all part of that nature because we're in Adam. Got it? Okay, verse 13. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account wherein there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. Paul clarifies this for us. It's not that we were there participating in his sin, but that we were there under his headship. Okay, verse 15, though. Hear this. There's a wonderful but. The but is this. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass, the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And I end on that note because I want you to see something that's right there in Romans 5. Notice how the end of that applies, okay? So theologians say that the atonement of Jesus, we can't limit its power in the sense that it rescues all sin. Jesus died on the cross for all sin. He has purchased every sin in his work on the cross. But notice the application of that. Does it apply to everyone? The answer is no, according to Scripture. It applies to those who believe in him, to those who believe in him. We don't teach universalism, the idea that everybody is saved. We teach that people are saved when they repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus. So through one man came disobedience, through one man came obedience that many, will be made righteous. Many will be made righteous. So Jesus' atonement pays the price for all sin, but its application is to those who believe. The third way that the sacrifice of Jesus applies to us is that Jesus' sacrifice gives us the example of God's love. If you look at 1 John 3, Verses 16 through 18. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Isn't it true that love is more than what we can say? It's not just the fact that we tell the people that are around us, our family, especially that we love them. It's that we show them our love. It's the same in the life of any local church. It's not just that I can say to my brothers and sisters here that are 
the regular members and attenders of Hebrew Church of Hope that I love you. It's nice for you to hear those words, but it's even better for you to see it in action. Charles Spurgeon, as he commented on this, he said this. He said, true love cannot be dormant. It is like fire of an active nature. It must be at work. Love longs for expression. It cannot be numbed. Command it to be without expression, and you command it not to live. A true love is not satisfied with expressing itself in words. It does use words, but is pain, it is painfully conscious of their feebleness. For the full meaning of love is not to be conveyed in any human language. It breaks the back of words and crushes them to atoms when it lays upon them all that it means. Love must express itself in deeds. As our old Proverbs say, Actions speak more loudly than words. Love delights, too, in sacrifices. She rejoices in self-denials. And the more costly the sacrifice, the better is love pleased to make it. She will not offer that which costs her nothing. She loves to endure pains and losses and crosses, and thus she expresses herself the best. True love cannot be dormant. It must be like a fire. It must take action. How does that come to life for us? By how we love one another. Through the example of Jesus' love to us, we can now see how we are to love one another, to sacrifice. There's a fourth thing that we learn about the sacrifice of Jesus from 1 John. And it's found in chapter 4. God's love is extended to us through Jesus' sacrifice. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus shows us God's love displayed toward us. And finally, the fifth point, the fifth reflection from 1 John for us is that God's love or the work of Jesus leads to eternal life. 1 John 5, verse 5. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is in the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has his testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So friends, here's what I'll end you with this evening. 
If you know Jesus, if you know that he's died on the cross for your sin, he's been buried, that he resurrected from the grave, if you have repented of your sin and you've trusted in Jesus' work to save you, the Bible tells us that you have eternal life. If you have not come to that point, this is my call to you to not leave this place without considering what Jesus has done for you. Respond to the gospel. Respond to Jesus' work. Because there's no other way for us to be made right with God apart from the atoning work of the Son. We can't do it on our own. And praise be to God that he has done it through Jesus. Jesus has paid our price. Do you believe in him? Or do you believe in something else? Have life or be separated from God? Those are the only two realities. Have life or be separated from God. Trust in him alone to save you. If you want to talk some more about what that might look like, I'd be happy to talk with you tonight. Caleb, we'd be happy to talk to you tonight. Ethan, as well. We'd love to talk to you about following Jesus. Let's pray, and we'll respond as we sing together. Lord God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the work of Jesus that has cleansed us of our sin, that has brought us into forgiveness, that is sufficiently sacrificial for the sin that exists in the world. Thank you that we can see the example of love toward one another through Jesus' example to us. Thank you that, God, that you extend your love to us through Jesus. And thank you, God, that you have given us eternal life in him alone. I pray that this would be the night that someone would come to know you and that their life would be forever changed. And for those of us that do know you, may this be a reminder of our hope in you alone. May we repent of the things that we're putting in place of you. And may we again come to this point of gratitude for the gospel message and the gospel reality. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing.